Welcome back. Thank you for joining us for another Sabbath School lesson. We're on lesson number 11 in our series, Mission to the Unreached. We are looking today at areas of the world where there has been very few Christian or Adventist influence. You know, it's rather fascinating to me that 55% of the world's population currently lives in major cities or urban areas. That will balloon or mushroom to 68% by 2050 if Jesus does not come, if he tarries. The message of God for this generation is found in Revelation 14, verse 6 to 12, where John sees in prophetic vision that message of the three angels where he says, And I saw another angel flying in the middle of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So the message of the three angels is to go to the ends of the earth before Jesus comes. That would include the urban areas. That would include countries that are non-Christian. That would include areas of the world's population that uh, apparently have very little Christian influence now. Jesus models how to reach areas that are difficult to reach or reaching the unreached by taking his disciples to Tyre and Sidon. I remember the first time that I ever visited Tyre. I really wanted to go to visit Tyre because I had preached about it in Bible prophecy where God said that this wicked city would be destroyed. And uh, I wanted to, to see for my, my own eye, with my own eyes the uh, destruction of the city because the Bible said that Tyre would be swept clean like the top of a rock, that fishermen would spread their nets there, and that its rubble would be thrown into the water. I was in Beirut, Lebanon. My hosts were hesitant to take me to Tyre because it was a time of civil unrest that might be a little bit difficult to get there without being confronted by some protesters and rioters and so forth. But finally, things calmed down and we got there, and I looked at my, with my own eyes at the fulfillment of Bible prophecy as I looked out into the waters and noticed the rubble thrown into the waters and recounted that story. But in the lesson today, we're not talking about the destruction of Tyre and Sidon. We're talking about, rather, Jesus' visit to it. But to get a little background, let's go to Monday's lesson. We're going to look at Judges, the third chapter. Judges, chapter 3. What's the profile of Tyre and Sidon? We go to Judges 3, verse 3. The Lord, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hiphites, who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, Mount Baal, and Hermon, uh, and uh, the entrance of Hamath, they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. What's going on here? God did not destroy all the heathen. Why? Because he wanted to allow the Israelites opportunity to witness to them. But Israel failed. They intermarried with this rebellious, idolatrous, immoral people. Now, why do you think Monday's lesson starts by showing the condition of Tyre and Sidon? Sidon, Tyre and Sidon were people of war. The, the Sidonians were people of war. The inhabitants of Tyre were people of war. 
They were people of violence. They were heathen. This was an immoral culture. They were idolatrous. They worshipped idols. And it's rather surprising that the lesson would begin there. Or is it? The purpose of Monday's lesson is to show specifically that in Jesus' mission to the regions beyond, that his desire was to give his disciples an object lesson that the apparently unreachable are reachable with the gospel. The apparently hard-hearted can be touched by the ministry of grace. Those that are apparently rebellious, still many of them have a longing in their heart to know God. So Monday's lesson helps us to understand that Christ himself took his disciples on an object lesson to reach the unreached, to show them that the unreached can be reached. I love the last paragraph of, of uh, the lesson. This is actually Sunday's lesson. It says, yet despite the history of paganism and idolatry and their negative influence on the chosen nation, Jesus still brought his disciples to these places. In this way, he initiated them in cross-cultural urban mission confronting their sin, bias, and bigotry, and modeled for his followers holistic urban mission to all cultures and nationalities. This is actually Sunday's lesson, not Monday's. But here's the point, the very clear point. Jesus himself went into an area of unreached peoples to show these disciples that you can reach the unreached. Now to Monday's lesson. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. Matthew 9, verse 35 to 38. The Bible tells us about Christ's ministry. This is what it says. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because... They were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to them, truly, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The Bible says Jesus went about every city and every village. And he said the harvest is plentiful all around us. In the villages, the small areas, the cities, there are hearts longing to know Christ. All around us, there are men and women that want to know Jesus. Not long ago, at our Living Hope Seventh Avenue Church, a lady came, single mom, pregnant, but deep within her heart, she was longing for peace, longing for something she didn't have. Human beings may have looked at her as one that wasn't interested at all, one that couldn't be reached. But Jesus didn't look at her that way. He looked at her with eyes of compassion. As she began to come, the Spirit of God broke through to her heart. By His grace and power, her life was changed. And recently, she walked through the waters of baptism to follow Jesus completely. The unreached can be reached by the love of Christ and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says here that the harvest is what? The harvest is what? 
The harvest is truly plentiful, but what's the problem? The laborers are few. So what does Jesus say? He says, pray that the Lord, that, that more will be sent out to labor. Maybe God's calling you to be a laborer for him. He is. Witnessing is not a spiritual gift. Witnessing is a role. God gives us gifts to accomplish the role of witnessing. God has called you to be a soul winner. God's called you to be a witness. God has called you to share his love with others. Now, in Monday's lesson, the last part, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 25, it tells about the people who came to Jesus and the four great provinces where they came from. And there's a notable absence here. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 23. Now, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching uh, the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Verse 24, then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with serious diseases and uh, torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, beyond the Jordan. Now notice he lists here the, uh, some of the great provinces. He talks about Decapolis, 10 cities from the east. He talks about Jerusalem. He talks about Galilee. But what doesn't he talk about? Tyre and Sidon. See, these people were coming to Jesus in these areas. But there was a place they weren't coming from. Where were they not coming from? They were not coming from Tyre and Sidon. So as a result of that, Jesus said to take his disciples there. See, we don't, if we only wait for people to come to us, we'll be very limited in those that we reach. So it's necessary at times to go to them. To go to areas in cities with great populations where very few are Christians, maybe none are Seventh-day Adventists, in countries where there are maybe very few Christians, maybe close countries, and God sends us as a tent-maker evangelist like the Apostle Paul, to work with our hands, or maybe to be a university student, to maybe to be a medical worker or a maid, but God puts us there for the opportunity of sharing his grace, sharing his love with others. But yet, when we look at Tyre and Sidon, and we look at these areas that were apparently unreached, we find people being reached in them. Um, in Tuesday's lesson, I read, in Tyre and Sidon, Bible scholars believe that the Gospel of Matthew had been written specifically for a Jewish audience and Mark primarily for a Gentile audience. And when you look at, for example, a Matthew's account and compare it with Mark's account of the, uh, of the Syrophoenician woman or the Canaanite woman, they're very interesting. So writing to a Jewish audience, Matthew talks about the Canaanite woman pleading for deliverance for her daughter, and uh, talks about her as this Canaanite. Now, the Jews would look at a Canaanite with despicable eyes. They would look at a Canaanite as the offscouring of the earth, one they want and have nothing to do with. Mark, writing to a Gentile uh, audience, talks about her as a Greek and talks about her as a Syrophoenician woman. They would look at her with different eyes. They would look at her as a woman who had failed, but who needed forgiveness, needed grace, and they would look at Jesus' act as one of compassion. Um, here, in our lesson, you ask the question why. 
why didn't Jesus respond to the woman's request? Let's, let's look at it and then raise that question. Because when you look at Matthew chapter 15 and see how Jesus responded to this woman, it's quite surprising for a loving Christ to respond the way he did. But he had a purpose in it all. Notice, uh, Jesus made a very strong response. Matthew chapter 15, verse uh, 22. Behold, a woman of Cana came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. He answered her not a word. So here's silence. She speaks. He doesn't say anything. Silence. His disciples say, Send her away. Verse 24. But he answered, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's discrimination. First he's silent, then he's discriminating. He's saying, I'm only the lost sheep of the house of Israel, I'm not for you. Then, Jesus, then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. That's rejection. What's going on here? Silence from Jesus? Discrimination from Jesus? Rejection from Jesus? Why? He's testing her and bringing out her faith. He's showing the disciples in an object lesson how they would act, and he comes to the end of the story and shows how God would act. And then he says, Jesus answered and said, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. What does it show us? Persistence pays off. She kept coming to Jesus and coming to Jesus and coming to Jesus. She didn't take silence. She didn't take apparent discrimination. She didn't take apparent rejection. Jesus was simply acting the way they acted to show them how they would act. But then he flips the coin over. He turns the tables and he reveals his magnificent, incredible love. Ellen White brings this out in the book Desire of Ages, page 400. Christ did not immediately reply to the women's request. He received this representative of a despised race as the Jews would have done. See, that's it. He received her like they would have done to show them. In this, he designed that his disciples should be impressed with the cold and heartless manner in which the Jews would treat such a case, as evinced by his reception of the woman, in the compassionate manner in which he would have them deal with such distress as manifest by a subsequent granting of her petition. So he models what they would do, then he reveals his compassion and love. What is he teaching? He's teaching that no one is beyond the reach of Christ. He's teaching that even those whom the Jews despised were responsive at times to his grace, his love, his mercy. He was showing the lengths to which divine love would go, the depths to which it would penetrate. He was showing the length and the breadth, the height, the width, the depth of divine love. During Christ's time, he reached out to the unreachable, like to the Canaanite woman. He reached out to those that were unreachable, so-called, like to the, the inhabitants of Tyre and Sidon. We see God illustrating this in the New Testament as well. We come to Wednesday's lesson. And in Wednesday's lesson, we read in Acts chapter 10, the story of Cornelius and Peter. Here in Acts 10, Cornelius is praying. 
He's a Roman, a centurion. Now the Jews despised and hated the Romans. But Cornelius was a man of honest in heart. He was a man of purity of motive. And he was praying that God would reveal to him light and truth. As he prayed, God sent to him a message. And here, the scripture says that uh, he was a devout man, Acts 10, verse 2. One feared uh, from, of, by all of his household. He gave generously to the people, gave God alms. And he has this vision given to him by the angel. And the angel says, send representatives to the house of Peter. He lives by the sea in the house of a tanner in Joppa. Send them. I remember one time we were traveling in Israel and we stopped in Tel Aviv and getting ready for our flight not far from Joppa. And we were actually staying in a hotel there. And I said to the group, look, I think I can find Simon the Tanner's house. People laughed at me. I was, you know, 2,000 years old. I said, here's what I know. Simon was a tanner, and his house was by the sea. Why by the sea? Because if you tan hides, it's going to stink, and you need the sea breezes to blow up. So I know that. I know the old section of the city is very small, and I, if I can get down and just not, there may be one little narrow street by the sea, I might be able to come up with something that, that, that at least was near it. So we wandered. A few people came with me. Others thought, what's this guy doing? You know, is he kind of weird and crazy? So I walked down these narrow streets, narrow streets, narrow streets. And would you believe it? I came to a bronze plaque that said this way to the house of Simon the Tanner. Went down that little street right on the sea, the place where they believe it was. Now, we don't know exactly if it was there, but the place that they believe it was, there was a sign that said this location used to be the house of Simon the Tanner. I was so excited that I found that place. So Peter was there. Peter goes up on the rooftop. He prays. A sheet comes down full of unclean animals, rats and mice and and alligators and crocodiles and every kind of snakes and every kind of unclean animal. God says, rise and eat. Peter says, I've never risen and eaten anything like that. I'm not going to do it. It's unclean. God says, what I've called unclean, don't you, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean. Now, people say, was God telling Peter to eat unclean animals? Was he telling him to eat rats and snakes and all those unclean things? Not at all. Look, let Peter explain what God meant to him. Acts 10, verse 34 and 35. Peter opened his mouth. Now, Peter's explaining the vision. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. In Acts 11, Peter says, God showed me not to call any man common or unclean. So this was not a vision about eating unclean animals. It was a vision about uh, partiality. It was a vision about prejudice. It was a vision about bigotry. It was a vision about calling people unclean, not animals. God, Cornelius prays. Peter prays. Prayers go up to heaven. God sends divine messenger. The two are linked together. Peter goes and preaches to Cornelius. Cornelius accepts Jesus and he and his household accept the truth of God, and they are baptized. What is this story telling us? It's telling us that those at times that we would reject, God doesn't reject. It's telling us that God is no respecter of persons. It's telling us 
to go, to minister to those that are less fortunate, minister to those that are of a different cultural background, minister to those that are a different ethnic or language group. Go, Jesus says, and minister. We come to Thursday's lesson. In Luke 18, verse 8, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Faith, what kind of faith? Faith in Christ that he's our Savior. Faith that his grace delivers us from the condemnation of sin. Faith that through his power we can be victorious, but also faith. Faith that his power is great enough to reach the unreached. Faith that his power is great enough to reach those areas of the world, the urban cities, the countryside, those countries that have been blocked to the gospel. Faith that God is going to do what he promised in Matthew 24, verse 14 in Jesus' sermon, his last sermon, the great sermon of the signs of the times where Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, then the end shall come. Here, you look at the great events in Christ's life. Matthew 8, verse 10, a centurion comes to Christ and Jesus says, I've not found so great faith even in Israel. You go to Matthew 9, there in Capernaum, the paralytic who can't come, his friends bring him and he is saved in God's kingdom. You see two blind men by Jericho, they're saved. All through the New Testament, God is reaching out through Christ. Men and women that you wouldn't expect, the poor, the poverty stricken, the, the woman caught in adultery, the hard-hearted Roman centurion, the self-righteous Nicodemus, whoever they are, whatever spectrum of society, the Canaanite woman, Tyre and Sidon, what Jesus is saying is the gospel embraces them all. There's room in the family of God for all of them. I love the last paragraph on Thursday's lesson, page 93. One lesson that we can apply today is that faith is found in unexpected places, in the cities among foreigners, pagans, and people with different nationalities. Faith is found in unexpected places. I'd like you to think about that again. Faith is found where? Where is it found? In unexpected places. Ask God to work in your life. Ask God to open your eyes. Ask God to open your ears. Ask God to help you to find faith in unexpected places. Let me tell you recently, I talked to my sister on the phone today. My brother-in-law, Eric, Pastor Eric, is a retired Adventist pastor. They were down helping my daughter with some things and uh, Pensacola, Florida, and uh, they were going up an elevator in a hotel. Another lady was on the elevator, and they were talking, and the conversation turned around, and uh, the um, lady began talking, and she, my brother eventually said that uh, he was a pastor. My brother-in-law said he was a pastor, and the lady on the elevator said, Pastor, what denomination? And uh, he said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. She said, Seventh-day Adventist, I believe the Bible Sabbath. Faith in unexpected places. My sister exchanged information, encouraged her to work, watch our YouTube channel. We're finding faith in unexpected places. That's an unexpected place on an elevator, isn't it? I love what Ellen White says here in an article that was written in the Advent Review and Sabbath Herald, January 17, 1893. It says this. 
The Lord Jesus, the mighty Savior, has died for these souls. That is, in those souls in cities where we won't expect it. He can arouse them from their indifference. He can awaken their sympathies. He can soften their heart. He can reveal to their souls the beauty and power of the truth. Then listen to this one. Desire of Ages, page 33. Among those whom the Jews styled heathen were men who had a better understanding of scripture prophecies concerning the Messiah than the teachers in Israel. There were some who hoped for his coming as a deliverer from sin. Philosophers endeavored to study into the mystery of the Hebrew economy, but the bigotry of the Jews hindered the spread of light. Here's what my prayer is, that our prejudice, our bigotry, will never build walls between us and others. That we'll look for every opportunity, every possibility to win souls for Jesus. And I know that is your desire. I know that that's the longing of your heart. Let's pray together today that God will open our eyes, that God will open our ears, that we can see the lost as candidates for the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you with all of our hearts for Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity of serving him. We pray that you'd keep us faithful, but open our eyes, open our ears. Help us to see lost people as Jesus would see them. Help us to see them as potential candidates for the kingdom of God. If Jesus could go to Tyre and Sidon and see potential there, we can see potential around us. If Jesus could see potential in a Roman centurion, we can see potential around us. If Jesus could see potential in a Canaanite woman, we can see potential around us. So Lord, keep our eyes open, keep our ears tuned to the Holy Spirit, and help us share your love and grace with others. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.